Thank you. Thanks, John. Thanks so much for having me. And um, it's lovely to be with you. Um, I was saying I have visited Swindon a few times before. I've got some friends over in Rawton. My brother used to live over on the west side before he moved away. Um, so it's lovely to be with you. And I do very much bring the, the greetings and love of City Church to you. And um, especially from Andy, who I think has been to visit before. And Steve, who came uh, about a month or so ago, uh, definitely send their uh, greetings as well. <clears throat> So it's lovely to be with you, and I understand you've been looking at the book of Daniel recently, and I believe you're going to be looking into the book of Acts uh, soon. Uh, so in a, in a funny kind of way, when John and I were talking, I'm hoping this may un- unintentionally, God, God incidents, whatever you want to say, um, is going to act as something of a little bit, maybe of an encouragement, and then a, maybe even a small segue into going forward. But we're going to be looking at uh, John's gospel today. Uh, we're going to come to the passage in a second. So if you have your Bibles, could you please uh, get them ready in John 17? We're going to be going from verse 20. Um, but if I, wonder if, if I was to say united to you, uh, what would be the first thing that came into your head? Um, it might be Ma- Manchester, yeah. I think a lot of... Or Sheffield, yeah. West, well, there we go. A diversity. Not Swindon Town. Any Swindon fans here? One of, okay. He's not here today. <laughs> Say what you like. Say what I like, okay. Um, or maybe you might think of the nations, United Nations. That's where my head first went. I'm a geography student a long time ago. Um, that was the first thing that came to my mind. And if you were to go on Wikipedia, now you're all good, discerning, intelligent adults, so you're probably going to look beyond Wikipedia for your, your resource or something. But if you were to look at Wikipedia, it would just tell you simply the United Nations is an gov- intergovernmental organisation that was tasked to maintain international peace, security, develop friendly relationships among nations, achieve cooperation, and be a centre for harmonising the actions of nations. That's lovely, isn't it? Maybe you think about putting on a united front. And actually, that's something we don't necessarily see in our world at the moment, is it? Uh, you, could, you could arguably say throughout history, but quite notably since maybe 2016 in this country, you could say politics has been incredibly and increasingly divided after certain referendum. Uh, it gives you an idea of what disunity is. Or even in this sort of postmodern world that we find ourselves in, where it promises you freedom and it appears so divided. Maybe that's through identity politics, or the class system, or ideas of what truth is these days. Yeah, I think there's something in our humanity that craves a real togetherness, isn't there? If you were to go down to the county ground, or if you were to come over to Bristol to Ashton Gate, or even next week uh, as we gather and celebrate the King's coronation, there's something within our person that craves a unity, doing something together, As we're going to see this morning, Christianity and our faith is no exception to this. If anything, it's a leading light. Uh, There's so much that the scripture has to say about the unity of believers. And we're going to think of what it means to be united as a people of God, united as Christ's church uh, in this age and going forward. And why Jesus really, really values that. And it's something he prayed for for us. That's where we're going to go. But even King David wrote in the Psalms, how good and pleasant it is. Uh, when God's people live together in unity. So scriptures are clear. God's people, for God's people, unity is something to be desired and to be craved. It's not something that's always easy, but it's definitely worth something that's pursuing. And I think it's just something I want to encourage 
you guys in as a relatively new and a growing group of believers. Cherish unity. Be passionate about the unity and the love for one another that you have here. Recognise there is a diversity, but you've got an amazing thing in common, and that is the atoning death of Jesus Christ for your sins, because the Father loves you. And that's where we're going to really be uh, in the drumbeat of what we're going to talk about today. You may have different opinions on certain things, but you have Jesus. And Jesus is your, your joy and your unity and what you have in common. So we're going to do this by looking at the words of Jesus in John 17. So uh, John 17 from verse 20, Jesus says, as he prays, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that, we, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, Mm -hmm. and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Why don't I just pray quickly as we come to this passage. So, Father, thank you so much uh, for your son. Thank you for the words that he prays here. Thank you for the word that is written. Thank you for the spirit that makes it clear. And, Spirit, we just pray that you would work in our hearts now to reveal more of of yourself to us. Reveal, Reveal God to us. Glorify Christ through us. Equip us, we ask, in your holy and precious name. Amen. There's so much in this little section. John, I know everyone's got their favourites, haven't they? But John, I think, is certainly my favourite gospel to read. I just love its kind of emotive tone, what comes through it about God's heart and how John experiences that as he walked with Jesus. And I think John asks certain questions of its reader. It provokes questions around the identity of Jesus. It very much points towards the fact he is the Messiah sent by God to earth. It also asks us, what does it mean to have life in Jesus' name? If he's the Messiah, what does it mean to receive him? Famously, uh, as he talks to Nicodemus, he talks about being born again. You must be born again in the living water and receive the Holy Spirit as well. Something that Jesus reminds us of many times during his earthly ministry, be born again. Shattering the illusions of the many people who were there at the time of the religious elite. Welcoming sinners from a call to repentance. But it also demands of us a practical question. What does it mean to be believers? What does it mean to believe this message? And that's where we're going to focus on today. If we are to believe in what Christ says, how does this work itself out? for us today. Where do we find ourselves? In this passage, we're in Jesus' final hours as he heads to the cross. 
He's just spent uh, the final hours prior to this with his disciples in the beautiful narrative of the upper room as he calls in them to remain in him, the true vine. He warns them of the troubles that are going to be ahead as they take the gospel out into the world. But that the joy will also come to them in that. And poignantly, he calls them to love one another. And here he is in the garden of Gethsemane, praying for his glorification before the Father, for his disciples as they head out into the world by the power of the Spirit. And here, starting at verse 20, we see a prayer for the future. My prayer is not for them alone, but for those who will believe in me through their message. The disciples are going out to spread, but he's praying for those in the future who are going to believe because of this message going out. And this is a deeply, I think, emotive point for us and one of extreme, I think, theological significance. Here is Jesus interceding on behalf of the future church before God, our high priest before the Holy God. And what is he doing at this very point? He's praying for generations of believers that are yet to come praying for you and praying for me. And it's that amazing significance that our names are already written on his heart and what confidence should that give us this morning as we sit here and get further into this passage that Jesus has been praying, was praying for us at this point. He knows us from the very depths. Isn't that lovely? Isn't that glorious? And it's from this point his desire, his heart for his church, that we look at unity. And we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at love that demands unity, and then we're going to look at how that then outworks. So let's start with this, love that demands Christian unity. As we've seen in verse 20, Jesus is praying for the future believers, because unity is Christ's desire for his church, both present and future. He's praying for future believers, those who believe in his gospel through evangelism, that the church is going to do through the ages and through the conviction that the Spirit is going to bring in lives. But what is the focus and desire of his prayer in this passage? Look with me again at verse 21. He says that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. That the believers will be one. That's his desire. Notice the focus of the prayer. It's not just some, um, some of the believers will be united, but that they would all be united. We can see that unity among believers is at the very heart of God's desire. In the previous chapters, when you read up to this, you get an idea why. Because as I said, he tells his disciples, being a follower of him is not going to be easy. They've experienced some of this already. But it's going to involve trial and tribulation for sharing this message. You just have to look at the persecution of the church through the age and to this very present day And you see something of that. Actually, if you stand up for Jesus, it might be difficult. It's going to involve suffering. And maybe something that you're you're aware of personally in your life already. Within this, believers being united in purpose and love is important. And there's also another significance we're going to come to in just a second. But as well, do you see this desire for love and unity... It's based on the love that God has already for and among himself. If you look at verse 21, again, all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May the world also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
the significance of this is huge. The basis of the desire of the unity is because it's something that reflects who God is. The unity among believers is something that replicates and demonstrates love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That community of love that existed before all time in perfection. The love that overflowed to the creation of the world. Just how how John begins his gospel. He says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He goes on uh, to demonstrate this. This love that overflowed. And this is the love that we might join in. And this is the love that sent Jesus to this earth to die in our place so that we can know this love ourselves. Jesus' desire is that we might know and share in this love. Look with me at verse 23. It says, I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That's what sent Jesus to the cross. Love for us. For the love that he knew from his Father. The love that they desired we would be welcome into. To know the fullness of the love of God is to know unity as well. Because it's central to who God is. And also it shows that we might see his glory and know his love. It's not just something that we know in our heads. But it's something that we know in our hearts, isn't it? As well. Because it's, again, to use a theological term, it's our union with Christ. It's our joining to him. Again, verse 22 it has two implications for us. We might see, and might know his glory and know his love. To know the glory of God in all his majesty, his beauty, a glory that displays God to the world and welcomes us because of Jesus. Not that we are glorified, but we reflect his glory because of the gospel. And it's through Christ that we are welcomed into God's love with full pardon and forgiveness John Piper puts this better than I can. He says, The oneness that shines with self-authenticating glory for the world to see is union with the Father and the Son, so that the glory of the Father and the Son is part of our lives. The glory that you have given me and I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. That glory is owing to this. I in them and you in me. It's our union with Christ. We're bound to him. We're not just uh, sort of knowing of him, but we're very much joined to him. It's interesting, yesterday I went to a wedding uh, of a dear friend of mine in Bristol, and there's all the different lovely aspects of the wedding ceremony. To be honest, the favourite thing, I think, was when I saw him turn round and see his bride's face, and that was just an absolute picture. Um, But among all the very different aspects of the ceremony, one thing really struck me, and that was at the... uh, as they held hands and exchanged rings and made their vows, the minister uh, declared them to be one flesh. It was, a, it was an Anglican service, and he held the hands, joined them together, and said, those who God has joined together, let no man, he said, put asunder, or let no man separate. And the reality is that for Toby and for Robin, my friends, they're no longer just Toby and Robin, but they, they're together, they're joined. They're a husband and wife. They've left their kind of independent state and now they are one. And this picture is what it means for us to be united with Christ. Because the work of the cross means that while we were distant and far off, 
What Jesus has done for us means we are now bound to him. We are welcome to him. As the Song of Songs put it, my beloved is mine and I am his. Because that's what the cross has done for us. We're redeemed, but what's more, rather than just being redeemed and remaining far off, we're welcomed, we're united, we're very bound. Our very identity is him. Because of the love of the Trinity, we're welcomed into that love, bound to the depths of God through mutual dwelling, through the work of the Son and that continuing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It just picked up again at the very end of uh, this little passage that we read. It says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you love me before the creation of the world. And it says, I've made, in verse 26, I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. It's a unity, it's a bounding. It's an ever getting to know, just as a, a spouse will get to know their partner ever more as they go on. It's that continual ongoing relationship revelation that comes in that joyous unity with God as the Spirit works in our lives and makes us more like him. But as well, do you see the extent of this love? Because this is a love for humanity that sent Jesus to earth at great cost, and that cost was himself. Why? Verse 23, the motivation is love. As Jesus prays that the world might see this, he shows us what the motivation for his going to the cross is, because the Father loves the world that he has made. It is love that drives Jesus to the cross. It is love that causes him to take our sin on our behalf. It is love for us that enables him to be uh, taking the punishment that we rightly deserve. Why? So that we would be with him and we would see his glory because his heart is that we would be brought back to him. Mm. So do you just see the sheer love of the Father for his people, for you? Do you see the love that the Father has for you, its depths, its desire? And friends, this is why unity among you is so important. Because God loves you, but he loves, and he loves us. He wants us to be united, because being united demonstrates this. Unity is based on that very love, the very heart of the gospel. The desire for Jesus before the Father, in the shadow of the cross is that his people would be one because he's going to the cross for that very purpose, to bring us back to him and to build a bride for himself. So in light of this, do you see how saddening it can be when churches aren't united? Um, Who are we to sort of undermine and presume to undermine the Father's desire for his church? Now, don't get me wrong, it's very easy for us. We can have different worship preferences, different styles, etc., but those things we've just got to lay aside. I used to work with um, UCCF, a charitable organisation that worked with Christian students. And often the biggest thing would be that the more charismatically minded students and the, the less charismatically minded students would fall out over those who are sound and unsound. And I used to knock heads together and say, come on, this is not a central issue of the gospel here. You both have Jesus in common, but please love your brothers and sisters well with different convictions. Don't get me wrong, it's great, it's good to have convictions and people have them for good reasons. But certainly, 
I think there's a time, and this is a time in our age now, to stand for the core gospel truths with yeah. brothers and sisters who believe the great truths of the gospel with us and not hold those secondary things quite as tightly. But it's worth, I think, here asking another question and taking a pause. Because although this desire and this love and this unity is perfectly, is wonderfully expressed, when is it right to not be united? It can be very easy to mishear what I'm saying and just say, you just have to love one another and not stand for anything that's true. Just love. But I don't think that's what this is saying. I'm going to use two examples here. Firstly, if you look through church history, you see examples of where the church has had to divide. Uh, Just one came to mind. In the 3rd century AD, there was something called the Arian heresy. Now, this was an idea that was propagated that Jesus was not eternally coexistent with the Father. Clearly, he never read the Gospel of John. All I can say is that. But this doctrine uh, proposed the idea that he was created... Jesus was created after by God. And this doctrine actually threatened to undermine the very essential nature of the doctrine of the Trinity, the divinity of Christ, and the teaching of the Church. In 325 AD, uh, the Council of Nicaea was convened and by Emperor Constantine and declared that the Arian doctrine was actually a heresy. And from this council, key tenets of the Christian faith emerged according to scripture and according to good practice, and these are outlined. And what we now call today, and what you may have well have stood up and declared together before as the Nicene Creed, the essential elements of the Christian faith. But I think as well this really speaks into the present cultural moment that we're in. Uh, maybe like me, you look on with sadness and see what is going on within the Church of England, and you just pray for your brothers and sisters that you know in that congregation who are trying to remain ever faithful to scripture to god's teaching and god's definition of what marriage is in a world that says no you just need love you just need to be able to follow your heart and do what you like and a church that appears to be increasingly accommodating of such a view i don't think that is what jesus is on about here I think what he's saying is it's the love that we have for another. There are moments where you have to stand for what is good, what is right, and what is true. Amen. What God created, the authority of his word, the church has to stand on those things. But the key moment here, the key thing here, is that you are all on the same mission. To make Jesus known to a world that does not have hope without him. And what Jesus is saying here, the Father's desire is that we remain united in this for his sake and to show his love. So what might be stopping you in that? And what might you need to potentially repent of to achieve that? Because the call here is to love one another, Trinity Life Church, as he has loved you. So a love, uh, the love that Jesus has that demands unity. And secondly, and more briefly, and finally, uh, a love that commands a united Christian witness. You may have been reading this and noticing something of the, the missional tone. I hope I've maybe made that clear. And this is because unity is important in mission. 
It's, it's really important for you as you coexist and you grow and you love one another. But it's hugely important as you go out to proclaim the gospel to this world. Not just that you would remain united, but that your unity would demonstrate God's love to this world. You see, unity is missional. Look again with me at verse 21. Father, you are, it says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There's something of a proclamation going on here. Jesus prays that the believers would be one so that the world would believe that they've been sent. It's almost like your unity, your love for one another is authentication for the very thing that's happening among you. And it shows the world who God is. It's staggering, isn't it? That by your actions, by our actions, we testify to the reality of the gospel. And there's a depth of the reality to it as well. Look at verse 23. He says, I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The unity of believers is testimony, testimony to the reality that God sent his son into the world because he loves the world, that we might be recipients of his mercy and know the love of the Father. The unity of the church demonstrates the love of Christ to the world. But it also shows the missional heart of Christ. So you see, your unity, and unity is more than just a nice and trivial afterthought, but it's utterly essential to the mission of God's people. And that's why we need to value it so highly. And it's wonderful, isn't it, to be part of a family of churches that are committed to making the gospel known, to growing the church, to uh, sharing that hope with the world. And it has such poignancy when you consider just a few chapters ago here that Jesus was saying to his disciples to love one another, that by this the world will know that you are my disciples. So church, are we loving one another? Do we love our brothers and sisters in other churches as well? Love can be costly. But it's something that we very much saw was the pattern of the early church. And I think this is where part of what you may be looking at in, the, in future weeks. But as you see the gospel is taken out by the church in the book of Acts, you see a genuine fellowship of believers where you have bold proclamation coupled with genuine love for one another that glorious passage where it talks about them being united in mind and nobody going without. It was a genuine love for one another rooted in their relational love with God through Christ in the power of the Spirit. And the source of their unity was that they had everything in common. The central truth of the gospel, coupled with their proclamation, was a real and Christ-centred love for one another. And friends, Is that something that characterises you? Let's pray that that continues to grow. Does a watching world look and see a group of people who love one another? Let's pray that that will continue. In how you speak to each other, how you act to another, how you sacrifice for one another. It's so easy for us to put in our efforts to do the correct things. Something uh, in a slightly different context, Paul explains to a church in Corinth when he's considering 
at the use of the gifts of the Spirit at that time. It could be possible to administer everything correctly, but without love, he says, we're nothing more than resounding gongs. Empty and hollow. We could go through the motions, we can go through the practices, we can appear to be doing it correctly. But without love for one another, it's empty and it's hollow. So are we ever at risk of being so focused on being correct that we forget that we do that at the expense of love for one another? Or is it so easy to divide and to categorise in a world uh, that currently believes in status, tribalism, and that can easily spill over into the church? But friends, let's not let it. Again, in a similar context to the Corinthians, Paul reminds them, he says, so, so then, no more boasting in men. All things are yours, whether you follow Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Friends, we boast only of Christ and we are united to him. Where might we be boasting otherwise? Where might other things be getting in the way? Let's only boast in Christ. So then, in light of this love, how are we to respond? It is to love one another in a way worthy of the gospel, because it's the very heart of God, and because it shows Christ to the world. And maybe this has stirred you to respond, or you feel called to respond in a certain way. And here are just a few ways I think this passage could compel us to respond. Firstly, maybe you've never experienced this love before, the love of Christ. If that's you, I'm sure John would love to speak to you, I would love to speak to you, and just point you towards one who will love you immeasurably, and he demonstrated it by going to the cross for you. Maybe you're here, And you see that the value of unity stirs you to a reconciliation. It might be with somebody in this very church. It might be with somebody elsewhere. And perhaps you are the way that you have wronged somebody or you have been wronged by somebody and you want to pursue forgiveness with a brother or a sister. This isn't always easy. But in the light of the forgiveness we've been shown and the light of the love that Christ demonstrates, do pursue it. Maybe it's a case of having to cherish your unity more, Christian unity, in a world that is increasingly marginalising the Christian faith, a world that is increasingly hostile to the gospel. Maybe the biggest conviction and the biggest encouragement I can give you is stay united, love one another, and testify to the Father's goodness. It can be so easy for me just to say to you, go and love people. It's not a formula, and often it's very difficult. But friends, finally, can I just encourage you once more to look again at our Saviour. See the incredible love, feel and know the incredible love that he has shown you at the cross. Bringing you into that greater love of the Godhead. Bringing you into that union with him as his sons and his daughters, free from sin and with the hope of eternity. Press into that through the Spirit. Know that even more. The depth of that love. Press into him and let him 
help you to love each other and others well. Why don't I pray? Jesus, thank you that your heart is unity. And Lord, you demonstrated your uh, desire to bring us to you, to be united with you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in that great love. Love the, the love that created this world, the love that uh, created the humanity in your image, and the love that caused you to uh, redeem humanity, to bring us back to you when we had gone astray. Father, thank you for that love. Spirit, imprint that love on our hearts. Push us closer to Jesus. And Lord, as we are pushed closer to you, push us closer to one another that we might love each other well. Love each other in a way that demonstrates your love to us. Love each other in a way that causes each other to go closer to you. And Father, love each other in a way that all who watch on and see would see there is something different about this love. And I need to know that. So, Lord, with the love that you have for us, mm-hmm. grow in our hearts and spill out onto the streets mm-hmm. that others might know and love you too. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen.